Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Renee Harris. With 40 plus years of professional animal sheltering experience, Renee offers animal welfare consultation services, specializing in shelter operations, dog and cat behavior training, including assessment, enrichment, and intervention, orphan kitten care, and staff and volunteering training. Renee is always striving forward with an innovative approach and active leadership progressive shelter and animal welfare organizations. In 2009, Renee developed and implemented the San Diego Humane Society's Pause to Success program, which included an orphaned kitten nursery program, the first of its kind. This nursery provided 24-hour care for orphaned kittens between the ages of one day old to eight weeks and subsequently provided San Diego the opportunity of saving over 3,000 orphaned kittens each year. In 2010, Renee developed and implemented a rehabilitation program for cats older than four months to address intake protocols as it impacts behavior and subsequent success in a shelter setting. Through environmental housing changes and some minor behavior modification, she led the program to success, which resulted in a 90% live release rate. She has now shared and assisted many other animal shelters to implement similar programs leading to increased cat adoptions. In 2012, the rehabilitation efforts were expanded with the development of the San Diego Humane Society Behavior Center for Dogs and Cats. This center was designed to address behavior changes common in the shelter setting. In 2013, Renee began offering her expertise as a full-time consultant and mentor, sharing her expertise with others. Renee has worked with organizations across the United States and around the world who seek to further develop their positive effect on the animal welfare community. Projects have included training and guidance in behavior assessment and modification programs for both dog and cats, operational needs assessment, development of policy and procedures, and staff training. Renee also provides other specialized presentations and workshops on local, state, national, and international levels. Renee, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you've been in the business for for 40 years. How did you get started? I Actually, when I was 12, they were looking for something for me to do. And I talked to a counselor. She could maybe, in my interest always was animals, of course. And so I started working at the local shelter and volunteering there. And then I actually went on payroll when I was 13, believe it or not. Oh, my goodness. And, and I, haven't, I haven't stopped since then. <laughs> so you were a very early recruit. Yes, I was. I was indoctrinated very early into the business. So that's that's and that was in San Diego or for another organization? That was actually in Kansas. I'm a Midwest girl originally. So um, it was in Kansas. It was a only shelter within our county. So they took in all of the animals, both stray and owner surrenders. And of course, that was in the early 70s. So it was, you know, during really kind of the top of the over pet population issues. And yeah, it was it was quite a learning curve. From you know being in the shelter environment from the seventies and then mm-hmm. coming to today, what has that cycle sort of looked like for you? What were the challenges that you faced 
sort of from, say, the 1970s, we'll, we'll break it up to 1970s to about 2000, sort of in that period of time, what were the, the changes and the challenges yep. that you saw? Well, I certainly think the, the main challenge was just the overwhelming number of animals coming into the shelter and the vast majority of them being puppies and kittens. So, you know, there was just a, a really the spaying and neutering movement probably is what I saw have the most impact during those years, um, getting that message across and bringing the animals into the family unit and into a home. But the challenge, I guess, you know, that particular up until probably the early 2000s was really just the incredible overpopulation of animals coming into the shelter and, and having to make difficult decisions and euthanizing animals simply because of space. And that just really never made sense. And so I'm happy to see where it's come to, to today, right, where, where we're not necessarily having to do that any longer. And although I do realize there might be some shelters that still find themselves in those circumstances. Yeah. And in your journey, at what point did you really discover that uh, spay-neuter was really an important component to being able to reduce the numbers of cats coming into facilities? Yeah, I, I actually think, I mean, I, I, you know, as I look back over my career, I think I was quite fortunate that I started at this little local shelter because in itself, it actually was already quite progressive and I just didn't know that. So I think I learned spaying and neutering was really a key element very, very early in my career. But I also learned that pet responsibility is probably even higher, you know, that if individuals took responsibility for their pets, then there would be no indiscriminate breeding. And therefore, there would be not be an overpopulation of pets. And so I think I was really fortunate, but I think I, I actually learned that or learned that very early. When you were in Kansas, you were there was access to some affordable spay neuter options for people who owned pets. Yeah, even in the 70s. So at that particular shelter, we had a, there wasn't a, a low cost spay and neuter clinic, but we had a program that was a spay and neuter subsidy certificate program. And so the shelters, you know, solicited funds specifically for the spaying and neutering fund, this program. And then we would give those uh, certificates out. And then all of the local veterinarians joined in and they would honor the certificates and bill us back for the, the fee at the uh, um, agreed upon amount. And then the individuals were able to get their animals spayed neutered. And at the time, I didn't realize it was actually quite unique, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the voucher programs came out, you know, obviously before the, the stationary clinics, the Humane Alliance model mm -hmm. clinics and, and those kinds of programs. But, you know, in the early 90s, when I was working at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, we used to have Friends of Animals certificates, which partnered with local veterinarians for affordable spay-neuter services. That was sort of the first first step in that process. But unfortunately, while we were offering those certificates, we weren't really seeing a reduction of intake rates into our shelters. And that didn't really happen in Massachusetts until about 2008, when we started introducing really low cost or no cost spay neuter for target areas within the state. So it, from, from our perspective, it was sort of in that in early 2000s when we were really looking at targeted areas for community cat programs to help make an, an impact. While you were at the San Diego Humane Society, it looks like you really implemented quite a few new programs. And I've always understood the San Diego Humane Society to be quite a progressive organization. 
how did they receive and react to your ideas for, for creating these new programs? You've got a rehabilitation program, a kitten nursery, a lot of different sort of outside of the idea box kind of ideas. And I'm just wondering, for somebody in another organization, how would you recommend people go about saying, hey, can we try something new? Well, I think the one thing I learned was kind of learning who my audience was. So in this case, it would have been my president and and then, of course, board and how does it impact budget um, and resources. So when, when making the presentation for these type of programs, making sure I incorporate, you know, looking, are there other avenues that maybe we could filter the animals to, um, always, it always came down to, can we save more lives? That's what the, the bottom line came down. And so obviously when you get somebody, listen, this is a program that can save more lives. You've already got them kind of there because everybody wants to do that. But then looking at how can I do this within the resources I have? And, and I find that that's probably one of the number one kind of blockers for new programs. And, and boy, you can be so inventive sometimes <laughs> in getting a program going. And it, and it doesn't really have to cost a lot of money. You start small and then if it's successful, then you can build, you know, your donor base on it. And, but like an example at, at San Diego on the nursery, we looked at, we had a very good coalition in San Diego County. We had excellent partnerships with our animal control and other humane society partners. And we all agreed to share our our data. And so we actually reviewed every euthanasia record for our entire coalition to find out why were animals being euthanized and how could we change that number. And when we looked at that initial data, we found that over 70% of them being euthanized that we felt were treatable and, and if resources were available could be saved uh, were actually cats. And it wasn't a surprise, but it was good to have data to say, look, listen, this really is the issue. And then of those 70% of cats that were being euthanized, over 50% of them actually were kittens under eight weeks of age. And so when we looked at that, we're like, okay, we could build a nursery, put together that program and immediately save hundreds of lives. And our initial pilot, we wanted to, we were aiming for 500 kittens. And we succeeded that our first year. We went, I think, up to almost 700 kittens in our first nursery season, kitten season. And and it, it was just such a good feel thing. And, and yeah, we had bumps in, along the way, but we had a, a, like an 89%, 90% save release rate of, our, of that population. So it's just get in there and do it and know that you don't have to have a lot. You can start small and then you build on top of it as it's, if it's going to be you know successful or not. Basically, work with your board or with your leadership and really present a case of success right. and then start small and maybe suggest doing a pilot program first. Say, let's let's just Absolutely. commit, do it one year. If it doesn't work, we'll stop. We just won't work. Do it. That's right. So, you know, present it as a pilot program. And then if it's successful, you know, keep it going. So I think that that's right. it's a great way to to present yourself and and to help make change within your organization. And another thing is to have measurables along the way so you can show your success as you're moving as well. It's a good point. Excellent point. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com 
and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about Community Cats. One thing that you had talked about that you tend to spend quite a bit of your time on is actually working with uh, outcomes for individual cats and how to give yes. them better opportunities. Would you be willing to share a little bit about what, what kind of stuff you're doing in that arena? Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it kind of goes back to that original, the majority of cats that are being euthanized. And when looking at different data, I found that cats are euthanized actually within that right after their holding period because they show fractious or fearful behaviors. And I often found that cats were being identified as feral cats based on how their source came in. Like if they were brought in a trap, there was almost this automatic assumption that they would be a feral cat. And then, of course, when they get into a shelter environment, then they begin showing some fractious behavior, some hissing and and swatting and that type of thing. And so learning about cats and cats' behavior, which is quite different than dogs and dog needs, we don't meet the cats' needs very well in shelters. We don't build our facilities with their behavior and environmental needs in the forefront often. So it, it came down to really changing their environment. And and so we did that systematically over a period of time, over a couple of seasons, and really found a successful process to give these cats an opportunity to come in, calm down once they're in the shelter, approaching them in, in very calm ways using, um, I use a back scratcher, a telescoping back scratcher, which works really well. And, and just giving them the time and space that they need. And what we found was my initial, I looked at over 2000 cats when I initially looked at the numbers and over 90% of the cats, regardless of their source, turned around and were companion pets that we could put through our adoption area. And I found that to be really an incredible information because those cats deserve to have a home uh, and not have us just assume that, that they couldn't survive or be, or do, you know, be successful. So I, I spend a lot of time in just talking about how to change environments and then how to appropriately approach and touch using their natural pheromones, the type of enrichment that they would benefit from in a shelter environment, and looking at each shelter and saying, okay, here's what you have. Here's the things that you could incorporate at your facility, understanding your limited resources uh, that you have. And, and so that's where I've really been um, kind of focusing a lot of my work with individuals. With that said, and, and I know you mentioned resources in there, what would your dream facility mm-hmm. look like for, for cats? Mm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I was driving down the uh, street yesterday and there was a vacant Walmart. And I thought, oh, that actually could be a really good cat <laughs> cat facility. <laughs> so it's funny that you ask that. I am. Um, I think space, and I mean space as far as just open space with a very high ceiling is going to be critical. So we don't, for air exchange and that type of, type of thing. I think cats do well when they have more space and good vision around where they're at. So they're not as stressed. So I would do some communal rooms. I would do just some single room and then also 
you know, having some just individual kennel kenneling system, but giving them no, no less than 30 inches in width of a kennel. And yeah. Oh, that's a big question. I would love to build that. <laughs> we'll put you on the committee because I think it would be fun to have like the dream facility. I've, I, it's actually, it's a, a blog idea of mine that I have for the community cats podcast blog is, you know, the, the dream oh. facility for, for cats, not only just the sheltering component, but the whole community interaction and how thing. do we in, oh, interact so with the cats and that kind of thing. So Renee, I I got, so I've got you on that. my committee. You're on my committee for that. So, Excellent. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question <laughs> about uh, community cats in general and the, the community cat programs that you've seen over all the years and, and your consulting. What do you think life is going to be like on a national scale for community cats five, 10, 15 years out? Oh, um, I certainly hope that it continues to uh, get better and better. And what I would like to see and what I think is going to happen is going to be a lot more conversations over the next three to five years about cats, which has been needed for, you know, 50 years. Then uh, I, I certainly could see some legislation uh, changes that might occur and allowing for certain cat colonies and, and areas to be cared for within um, the legal requirements. I would like to think that our housing and process for cats as they're coming in and out of the system improve and we really begin building with cats in mind. And, and I hope that they get to the same level of pet responsibility as dogs. You know, that would be an incredible, I think, step over the next 10, 10 years um, within our, you know, within our communities, because I just think that it's, it's a difficult challenge because I think people think, oh, well, they're, they're okay. They can live outdoors and be on their own, which on one hand, yes, but on another hand, they, you know, I think they really deserve to have somebody who cares for them and, and is responsible for them. I think it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the, you know, concept of uh, pet responsibility and then, you know, changing that we've been so sort of focused on live release rates and statistics, shelter statistics, right. 10 years from now, do you think we're all going to be at 90% live release rate? Is that statistic not going to be very helpful for us? I think that at some point in the moment, that statistic was probably helpful, but I think we were a bit nearsighted and, and only relying on that as a measurable. And I do think that 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 process and that the, the measurables that we have for our success will will change. And we'll also look at quality of life, um, which comes along with that pet responsibility and education. And, and it's not the only number. But do I think that can we all get to a, a certain live release rate out of our shelters? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. I've seen shelters who have very extremely limited resources, and that includes staffing, you know, where they've a ratio of one to 70 animals and they do the whole, they do adoptions and intake. And, and I've seen those type of shelters just do incredible work and really emphasize and doing what they can for every animal and meeting their needs. And they have very, you know, between an 85 and a 90% live release rate. So I, I think it's also maybe in how we look at what the resources are and maybe how we use our resources and maybe change our attitude overall that, listen, we actually can do a lot, you know, with, with what we have. Because sometimes we get caught if we if we don't feel like we have the new building or if we don't have 
enough money in the bank that we can't do things. And, and that's really so limiting to what we really can do, especially when it comes to cats. I really don't feel like from a organizational standpoint, financially, I don't think that they actually are as high of a, a cost actually than, I, than, than dogs because their issues are, are much more identifiable as far as environments and, and need. We just have to meet the needs. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, Renee, if folks are interested in finding out more about your consulting and the work that you do, how could they reach you? Yeah, um, they're welcome to email email me. My, uh, it's uh, Renee Harris at top2cats, T-O-P number two cats, consulting.com. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Thank you for all the work that they do, you know, with the animals. Keep moving forward and, and it's up to us to continue giving them a voice. Excellent. Renee, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. Um, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Maybe we'll do a, a show on dream facilities. Oh, I love it. That would be <laughs> awesome. The, the cat house for the community cat lover. <laughs> Take care. I love it. We'll, we'll bring new term to the cat house of the community. Does your organization not have a clear vision of what its goals and objectives are? Does it seem like everyone on your board has a different idea of what you should be doing and how to do it? Well, I can help you with a visioning workshop. I offer affordable, quick and painless strategic planning services for a small organization. I can even offer my services virtually. Are you interested? Just reach out to me at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com.